Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Elena Boone and Judy McDonald. Ladies, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Elena, will you tell us a little bit about how you and Judy know each other? So we have known each other for decades. We do live in the same neighborhood, and we have children about the same age who went to the same small school, and um, Judy has become like, their family has become like um, family to us. We have no family in Augusta, and they have filled that gap, and we're very thankful. I didn't know that connection with y'all, that you've been in that same neighborhood for that long and your kids grew up together. I have a friend like that. She moved. It was so sad because it's just such fun to have somebody up the mm-hmm. street from you that you share all that with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same school. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do our first things first question. And we do do that at the beginning of every podcast. So I'm going to ask you the question and then you're going to give a brief bio and answer the question as well. And the first things first question for today is what is the first thing you do when you get home from a trip away? So Dan and I have been married for 37 years. We have two adult daughters. Catherine is a dentist in Augusta, and Jenny is um, a data scientist in Raleigh. And they each have a brand new puppy, and we'll have a meeting of the puppies over Thanksgiving at our home. Okay, you have to pause and tell us what kind of puppies. So Catherine has a boxer, and Jenny has a Great Pyrenees. Oh my gosh, that is going to be a cute little meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would be fun. I love to cook, I love to read, uh, and I love to travel. And so what the first thing I do when I get home from a trip is to unpack, no matter what time it is. I love traveling so much, and there's a little bit of sadness associated with the trip being over, so I want to get the unpleasant task done as soon as I can. My name is Judy McDonald. I'm married to Alex McDonald. We actually met at First Press 38 years ago in what was then Telfair Hall. We were both in the singles group, Seekers. We connected again at the VA hospital like the next week after we met for the first time. I was a pharmacist there. Alec was a fourth-year medical student, and we ended up married somehow. And we have three children. We have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and also five grandchildren. And I honestly just stay pretty busy trying to keep up with everyone. And here at church, I'm involved in choir and the Cornerstone Sunday School class and Bible study. So we're not really big travelers, but we go on a lot of small trips. And the very first thing I do upon returning is I check my mail to see if the world has missed me while I've been gone and if there's anything I need to take care of. And after that, I do like Elena does. I go upstairs and I start unpacking and it really doesn't matter what time of the night it is. I just want to get it over with. And my reasons are a little different. I just don't want to deal with it in the morning. I'm ready to put everything up and then go on to the next big thing. So we are shamefully not like you ladies. We definitely might leave the little suitcase out for a little bit, go shopping in there for some clothes. I do like to get the dirty laundry washed right away, especially if I've been in a a city. Does that sound bad? Like when I go to a city and it feels dirty, I'm like immediately throw everything in the washer, like get it clean. Ew, we've been sitting in the airport. Ew, get it washed. But if it's like I went to my mama's, then, you know, I might be living out of that bag a little too long. I like how you said go shopping in the suitcase a couple days later Mm -hmm. yeah all your favorite clothes are in there you know it's like i took my favorites with me they're right there in the bag for me you thought you were missing them and then you remembered no 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 i just didn't unpack look Uh at that i found it sitting right there in the closet ready for me yeah laid out laid out (laughs) that's funny 
um, I am like Elena and Judy in the sense I do want to unpack when I get home. And our boys, it always drives them a little bit crazy because we roll into the driveway. And if you've been at the beach or someplace like that, there's a lot of stuff to unpack. So I am kind of the taskmaster. And I'll be like, we are unpacking this car. Do not go anywhere. Do not say you have to go to the bathroom. You do not have to go to the bathroom. Merciless. well, because I have to go to the bathroom with my phone, and oh. then I'm in there for 30 minutes, so oh. I don't have to unpack mm-hmm. the car. So nobody gets to go to the bathroom. I see. Sometimes I have mercy, and I'll set the timer for 30 minutes, but then it's all call, all hands on deck, and we do unpack. And I like to get it all done, just because I like to feel at home. Like I, I like, I am one of those people that likes to pick up my house before I leave. I'm not saying necessarily clean it, but I don't want to come back to a mess, and then I want the mess to be gone relatively quickly, so I can just sort of sit there and be like. I feel at home. And there is something nice about being in your space. Whether you like to unpack or don't unpack, you just like the sense sometimes of, I'm here. I'm in my place. I'm settled. And as we are talking about, of course, the book of Habakkuk, again this week, we are remembering that Habakkuk is God's prophet, and he was also a human being like you and me. And he would have naturally have loved his home, uh, his nation. His initial request to the Lord in this book is, Lord, would you please essentially clean this place up. Um, Would you please, in my home, in my nation, eradicate evil and establish your people in righteousness? And then the Lord responded to Habakkuk with a plan to deal with that evil that meant instead of cleaning up Habakkuk's home the way Habakkuk had anticipated, Habakkuk was going to be evicted. Uh, His home was going to be destroyed. Even God's temple, the place where the Lord had chosen to dwell, was going to be destroyed. Habakkuk couldn't comprehend how this could possibly be the Lord's will. But the Lord reminded Habakkuk that he is indeed the God who works justice and brings righteousness to all the earth, even when it seems as if the opposite might be happening. So as Habakkuk prepares to be evicted, this is where we are in the book of Habakkuk today, Uh, We're going to start in chapter three. Habakkuk's preparing to be evicted. He chooses to remember, uh, to remember that God is a God who saves his people, who keeps his promises, that even in wrath will remember his mercy. Habakkuk reminds himself of this by bringing to mind what would have been to him the ultimate salvation story. Uh, Just as Jesus' work on the cross is our remembrance of God's ultimate salvation story. And to Habakkuk, that would have been when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into a covenantal relationship with him. So much of the imagery we will read in these next verses is meant to bring the story of the Lord's past redemption to present mind. All right, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about what you see in this passage. Let's back up a little bit with the end of chapter two. We see how when we are in the space of worship, our hearts are at rest. We're in silence and we can see the Lord for who he is and we can see ourselves for who we truly are and that he is do 
all the worship, all the exaltation. And so I think this response that we see here is not Habakkuk looking forward and now saying, Lord, how are you going to do this thing? And he's afraid of the outcome. Like he, can he construct an outcome that seems to fit? Because we see earlier in Habakkuk that he's already thinking like, Lord, we're, we're actually better than the Babylonians. Like you don't need to bring them in here and, um, you know, wreak havoc on our nation. We, our righteousness is better. We're at least better than they are. So the Lord has already revealed to him his self-righteousness there. And now we see that he's calling to Habakkuk's mind, Again, worthy of worship, a God who has been faithful through the ages, a God who has delivered his people in these mighty and unpredictable ways. And Habakkuk's response is grateful worship. So as y'all were studying this this week, Elena, start us off. What in particular surprised you or interested you about this passage? What interested me was after his encounter with the holy God, Habakkuk is moved to worship in prayer. His dire circumstances have not changed. His dire circumstances would not change. But his posture before the Lord changed to a posture of worship and trust. And we're witnessing that transformation in him. That's so true. It's just usually our awareness of who the Lord is. Like the Lord hasn't changed. His glory is always magnificent. His splendor was always there. But just having that taste and see moment where we're revealed, like we we can for a a minute, just catch a glimpse of who the Lord is, then it gives our our heart a posture of worship. Mm-hmm. When you're bringing out the point, Elena, that his circumstances aren't going to change, and we mentioned, we've mentioned before that you can see some of the details of who the Babylonian nation is, what kind of destruction they actually bring about, and particularly if you read about it in Lamentations, it's horrific. And so when you realize that Habakkuk is praying this way, believing in a God who is a saving, redeeming God, and yet God is not going to turn this particular circumstance around, it really does, at least for me, make me think, wow, Habakkuk believed that even if I cannot see it, and that's part of the part of his initial, his complaint is, there's no way you could bring about justice like that. There's no way this could be you. He's decided, okay, you can do whatever you want. It will be consistent with your character, whether I understand it or not. I am going to trust you and I'm going to bring to mind most important essence of your salvation in order to have that courage to believe that in the midst of a circumstance that's not going to change. And we'll have at the end one of the most beautiful proclamations of faith in all of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, just we kind of already touched on this, but just obviously the... Um, Moses's walking people out of Egypt is in the scene here and just how unbelievable that moment is like nobody could have dreamed that up nobody would have thought this was the way that God's going to bring his people out of slavery so just being able to trust the Lord like you've been faithful in the past and we trust you with the things that are ahead of us like you're talking about those circumstances aren't necessarily going to change like we look at our circumstances and know like Lord I don't know but just being able to trust him that he will deliver in these ways that we couldn't dream up or predict Judy what did you think about this passage Well, I appreciated the faith journey of Habakkuk. He's initially asking God to help his people. They're behaving terribly and are wicked and sinful. He does not understand why God is allowing this to continue, and he pleads to God for help. Then God does answer. He tells Habakkuk what he plans. He's going to use the Babylonians to redirect his people. Uh, The Babylonians, as we know, are just a cruel and evil nation. Habakkuk cannot believe that God would use a nation that he believes to be even more evil than his own 
to punish Judah. And he asked God, is he not from everlasting? Habakkuk does not understand the answer he's given from the Lord and asks why. I do not always understand the answers that I'm given from the Lord either. And it is okay to respectfully ask why or please help me understand. Habakkuk then says he'll stand on his guard post and keep watch to see what the Lord will speak to him and how he may reply when reproved. His faith is growing even when he doesn't understand. Eventually, he's at the point in his prayers where he's at peace with God's plan for Judah. Even though it's scary and he asks for mercy in God's wrath, Habakkuk has had an honest dialogue with the Lord and God has worked in his heart to bring him from true doubt in God's plan to a point of trust in God's plan. Even while Habakkuk still asks for mercy, Habakkuk now accepts God's plan and has grown in his faith. He knows that God is worthy of his trust. God has allowed Habakkuk's faith to grow. So he goes from totally not getting what God is doing with Judah to a point of submission and trust in his trustworthy Lord. I love how you capture that whole journey right there so very succinctly. And if you look at how Habakkuk starts his prayer at the beginning of the book, how long shall I cry to you for help and you will not hear, he states to the Lord. And that's how he feels. Like, I've been crying for help for a long time and you're not doing anything. But now he starts with, oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work. And oh, Lord, you I do fear. And then he follows it with a prayer to God about God. So both of those things are necessary. The ability to take those questions, to ask, Lord, it does not seem like you are here to dialogue and to wrestle with the Lord. And then when the Lord answers to say, Lord, you do, I fear in a, in a reverent, full of awe type of way. So we're going to ask a couple questions. These come right from the Brownback study uh, this time, Brownback, Lydia Brownback study on Habakkuk. And she asks, how do you personally find that it's helpful for you to pray to God about God in particularly difficult times? So I recently went to the eye doctor just for a checkup and I took my contacts out and I put my chin on the chin bar and I put my forehead against that bar and I looked through the text lenses and it was very, very blurry. So the tech flipped the lenses on the right hand. She flipped the lenses on the left hand, and they were all very blurry. Then she said, read the smallest line on the chart that you can read. And I said, what chart? (laughs) So she got up and she cleaned the lenses, and suddenly everything came into focus. That's what praying the Word of God back to God does. It cleans our spiritual lenses, clears our spiritual lenses, praying the character of God, the deeds of God, the truth of God, the word of God, clears our spiritual lenses so that we can see rightly. Then we can start our thinking with what we know to be true. We can interpret the circumstances of our lives through the clear lenses of truth. We can see clearly that God is good. God is faithful. God is sovereign. He will judge evil. He will send Jesus to come for me. He will set all things right. And then I view my life and my struggles from a different point of view. I love that illustration. That's great. That clears those spiritual lenses. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we think that we can see just fine. And we're really, we don't even see the chart. I read in, um, from Matthew Henry's observations about Habakkuk, those that would rightly order their speech to God must carefully observe his speech to them. That makes really good sense to me. God tells us in his word about himself. His word that he has given us is where we find out about who God is. In difficult times, it is easy to get off track 
so to speak. I am emotional, fearful, and needy in a hard situation. The situation could overtake me, and I could see God from a wrong perspective or doubt Him. I'll share two things that I find helpful. I find it helpful to remember what God has done in my life in the past. It is good to remember those personal memorial stones, those times where God met me in a special way. Just like the Israelites forgot all the time the great wonders God had done to bring them into Canaan, I can forget the scope of all the things that God has done in my life. I need to reflect reflect and remember and also pray acknowledgement to God about what he has done in my life. This changes me. It points me to trust in God who does not let me down. I also find it helpful to pray about what I know to be true about God. It's easy to get off track with what is true about God in life during these hardships. It's possible to start thinking other things about who God is other than His attributes. This helps me see my hardship from His perspective. It does not necessarily make the hardship go away or be any better, but it helps give me a truthful, godly perspective of the situation. It also takes the focus off of me and my needs and helps point me to the God of my hardship. That's super helpful. I love how y'all are both talking about how the Word of God is a reset. A lot of times with my kids are, you know, whatever reason, they're stirring up trouble like children do. I will tell them, you need to push the reset. Take a breath and go push the reset. And really, truly, it is God's Word that calibrates us, Mm -hmm. that helps us push the reset and cleans the lenses and just helps us get a fresh look on. And remember, like how you're talking about, obviously, Scripture is rife with that word remember, so it's helpful and good to remember all the ways that God has been good to us, been good to his covenant people throughout Scripture, been good to his people that are in our own genealogy. So I think that both of those, resetting and remembering, super super helpful. I think y'all heard me talk about before some just very basic prayers that I will have when I'm kind of at the end of my rep sounds drastic um, where I, when I'm in a spot where I, I don't see how to navigate forward in a clear way. And just Jesus help is one of my go to prayers, like help me see what is real. Show me what is true and real. I lack the awareness. I lack the objectivity. I lack the wisdom to see how you're at work in this situation. I don't say clean my lenses, but that's what I'm asking for. Like, Lord, help me see what is what how you're at work and help me to willingly and joyfully participate in your plan. Which makes such a big difference because I tend to want to be like, don't you see, Lord? Don't okay. you see? Don't you see? Da, da, yeah. da, 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 da. I got a lot of explaining. Yeah. And not, of course, that I would really think that the Holy God doesn't see. But in my talk, that's obviously what I think. I'm just rehearsing a narrative, but oftentimes it's my own narrative. And mm-hmm. I haven't stopped to say, I may have the wrong narrative going on here. I may not even be seeing this correctly. Would you just redirect me? Well, and I think that is part of even Habakkuk's story. I mean, we all are going to offer that up, like, you know, offer our grievances to the Lord. Like, this is not going my way. I think I was acting rightly, like, Lord, help me. Yeah. So I think it is good and helpful as Habakkuk models for us to pour our grievances out, just being uh, having an honest assessment of the Mm -hmm. situation best we can and then asking for the Lord's help to see clearly. Yeah. All right. So another thing we see at work here is that Habakkuk acknowledges the rightness of God's wrath while also praying that mercy will prevail. This is obviously one of those situations like wrath and mercy and justice that we oftentimes feel the tension. So let's talk about what does it tell us about somebody that's willing to pray um, with a heart of mercy? What does that indicate about their heart? And let's talk about how or when and why mercy factors into our personal prayers. Can you start us off, Judy? Sure. The person who prays for mercy, I think, sees their need for mercy. I think they know who to go to for mercy. I think they might have a spirit of humility. 
maybe a sense of boldness. And I think they might have an understanding of who they are before the Lord and who the Lord is, which is actually the beginning of wisdom. And I just thought Habakkuk knew who God is and realized that he was to trust God on his plan. God's ultimate desire was to bring his people back to himself. Christ was to come from Judah. Even though Habakkuk at this point accepted God's righteous wrath, he still knew God to be a God of mercy and thus asked for mercy. I like how you're saying that both I know my need and I know where I can go to have that need met. And I liked how you said that and there's a certain amount of boldness, uh, that willingness, that belief that, that God is willing and, and even more than willing, calling, bringing me to him to ask for that mercy that he wants to dispense it. I think at the heart of a prayer for mercy is an acknowledgement of who God is, holy, completely separate, completely set apart from anything and anyone. He is all powerful. And he has unlimited resources. At the heart of a prayer for mercy is also acknowledgement of who I am before the Lord, dependent and in need of grace and mercy every minute. Isaiah 6 is one of my favorite chapters. Isaiah sees God in his glory, and he sees himself in his uncleanness, and his immediate response is, woe is me, I am undone. When we pray for mercy, we're in fact praying for injustice. We are praying for the opposite of what the sinner deserves, and that sinner is me. I have a dear friend who's been deeply wounded. We had a prayer meeting for her, and we were asked to pray for repentance and salvation for the one who has wounded her, and I struggled with this. I felt the Lord nudging me to pray, but I didn't want to pray. That particular request. Through tears, I confessed, Lord, I don't want to pray for this sinner. I am the one. I am the one who wants mercy for me and justice for the other sinner. And it reminded me that mercy has a cost. Begging for mercy from God came with the cost of his son. Mercy became very, very expensive in my eyes. And I'm learning to continue to pray for mercy for me and for the other Sinners, even those, even those who have wounded me or wounded those I love. I like how you are talking about that. And even just considering when we are calling out for the Lord's mercy, we know that we deserve his wrath and we are asking for his deliverance. And I think even being bold enough to ask for that shows that we've known his character to be loving and kind and merciful so that we can't even have the wherewithal to ask for mercy. And I think those that are willing to pray for mercy and willing to show mercy is because we've known the mercy of the Lord. That is the only way that we're motivated to move toward one another in mercy is because we've tasted of the Lord's mercy. We've known the depths of his mercy. And it's like, of course, of course, you're walking around wounding and hurting other people. And that kind of like I've known that sort of I've been on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to show that person mercy and pray for their deliverance and their freedom from sin just reminds me of how much of the Lord has delivered me and shown me mercy. Yeah, when you said how how costly it is, I'm just resonating right along with that feeling because I've I've been in a similar circumstance where it just seems like oh, mercy means no justice, right? And then it just it's fine, whatever, but it's not fine. There is a price paid, and the fact is that price falls on God himself, that he takes that price, that penalty. And it's hard for me sometimes to understand how that then translates into the, the price of the people. We, we do pay a price in giving other people and showing other people mercy. 
But then you do think about that parable of the um, the man who came. He was so in debt that he could never pay it back, and it was totally cleared. But the one in that who released him from that debt was representative of God, that you could never pay me back, and yet I'm going to free you totally. But then that man went out and found someone who owed him a much lesser debt and demanded that he be put in prison until it could be paid. And how convicting that is. I want somebody else to pay the price when such a huge price has been paid for me. And I think in those times when we're that aware of that feeling, it is another time that the Lord's saying, remember my mercy. Mm -hmm. Think on my mercy. What is my mercy? And when I think about Habakkuk remembering or asking the Lord in wrath, remember mercy, Mm -hmm. he didn't know what that was going to look like ultimately for himself or for his nation. He didn't know that even though Babylon did overtake them, even though they were scattered and deported, even though the city was ransacked and the temple was destroyed, he couldn't have seen, but he had faith that in that the Lord was yet remembering mercy. And you think about the fact that the people did come back. uh, The temple was rebuilt those in them, those things themselves weren't the ultimate mercy, but what was, they reflected, what the ultimate mercy was, is that the Lord was preserving the seed of the one who was to come to give that greatest of mercies, to pay that ultimate price, that through that lineage that was preserved, even in God's people, that we would ultimately experience the salvation of Christ. And so Habakkuk could not have comprehended that that mercy was being preserved even in the midst of what was going on. And I think sometimes we can't comprehend how that mercy is effectually Mm -hmm. redeeming all of the evil that we experience and understand now, but we will understand it one one day. We will see that full Mm -hmm. picture and we can look and say, Lord, I do remember, I do see, I do fear uh, your works. I do trust in them, even when I can't see exactly how they're going to pan out. It's so encouraging just to meditate once more upon the cross and the brokenness there, the mercy that is shown there, and just to continue to run after the Lord in that way. I thought about something. There is the mercy that is the gift that God gives us by forgiving our sins, by Jesus taking our sins upon himself. But there is also just the mercies, the compassionate. I, I tried to look up those words, but there were so many definitions of mercy but the mercy that Habakkuk is compassions of God. And I just thought we can only approach, ask God for the other kind of mercies through the mercy of salvation. But um, also just the, we just, I, I don't know. I just thought I am incredibly needy of the new mercies every day and limitations. Mm-hmm. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And how I think that's what Habakkuk, that word had the same Hebrew number or whatever in the concordance. But I think, you know, that we just can't have one without the other. But we can look at the lens of the mercy of the cross with every mercy we ask for thereafter. Oh, that's I love that. Yeah. Just that that then opens up to us all the mercies and compassions. Yeah. That and, God can bestow. And they never cease. That's the thing. And so I thought, is that just being selfish? Because I thought, if I think about, do I ask for mercies? I am, at this point in my life, I am desperately needy of mercies. It's like what God says, they, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So they're there. I'm going to ask. And I'm thankful for the cross so that I can come ask. 
Elena and Judy, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you're unpacking your fall break bags or going on a long walk in these cooler evenings. Jamie Long and Liz Reed will be joining us to talk about Habakkuk 3, verses 8 through 11. We hope you will listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.